Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Forza Napoli Calcio Podcast. This is a podcast all about Napoli, of course, but you don't have to be a Napoli fan to enjoy it. If you're a Serie A fan, if you're a football fan, looking for the inside scoop on all things Napoli, this is the place to be. I'm your host, Joe Fischetti. Thank you, as always, for listening. This is our Barcelona review episode and I have a new guest to join me with this review. He is one of the founding members of the brand new Tri-State Napoli Club. We're going to talk a little bit about that at the end of the pod. Peter Scala, welcome to Forza Napoli. Thanks, Joe. It's an honor to be here, and I'm really excited to talk about an unexciting game. (laughs) Yeah, I'm I'm sorry. I always have to apologize when we do reviews of uh, defeats like this because uh, i'm forcing our guests and our listeners to relive something they probably don't want to relive i should check the downloads on these episodes they're probably a lot lower than <laughs> than uh, after a win for example but let's get into it let's get it out of the way i think there is still some discussion that's worthwhile having we're obviously going to cover the match and then we'll talk about some other things at the end of the pod as well we lost four to two as you know which means on aggregate, we lost the match 5-3. to three. There were so many events, I guess you can call them, in this match to talk about that I think the easiest way is to just go through it in chronological order. On the whole, this was obviously a terrible performance, but I thought we showed good signs early on in the match, like very early. Obviously, the first goal didn't take too long to come, but in those opening few minutes, it looked like we were pressing higher than we did in the first leg of this uh, tie it was clear to me that we weren't going to sit back in this match. We saw the team press, so it wasn't just Victor, for example. We would see, you know, there was one play, it was only a couple minutes into the match, where it was like they were waiting for the right moment, and then they all went. And so, you know, I was impressed by that. Barcelona was doing the same thing. 
We forced him to go back to Ter Stegen a couple times, and he just booted the ball along. So there were some good signs early on. And then out of nowhere, Barcelona scores in the eighth minute on a counterattack. So let's start there. Pete, what did you think about that Jordi Alba goal? Well, obviously, you can't talk about the goal without talking about what came before it, which was the corner. And if you've watched Napoli for any length of time, you know they tend to do a lot of short corners. And I know I'm not a big fan of it. I know a lot of uh, Napoli fans on Twitter. I hear a lot of complaints about it. I don't think I've ever seen one that ended that badly before against Barcelona. may not be the Barcelona of a few years ago. It's still a big name beating them and advancing on in the Europa League would be a huge statement for Naples. And like you said, they did start well early. I agree with that. But the corner just, I think, completely took the wind out of their sails. I mean, the goal is, you know, it was a classic um, fast break. To me, there wasn't too much about the goal. It was more about before the goal, which is more of the story in it. I just thought it was, you know, a classic fast break goal off of a very bad corner. Yeah, I'm going to touch on Barcelona in a little bit later, just because I think, you know, a lot of people are looking at Barcelona and where they're sitting in the table in La Liga and perhaps the first half of the season. I don't think enough people are giving them credit for for how good that side really is. On this goal, Spalletti took responsibility for it after the match. He said he was the one that called for the short corner, and the idea was to draw two defenders away from the area presumably because then that creates more space in the area. Now, I think Spalletti was probably trying to take the heat off of his players, which is the right thing to do after a match like that anyways. But the set piece was so poorly executed. Insigne's pass was nowhere near Zelensky, and I don't know if he was expecting a different run there or if it was just a horrible pass, but they were definitely not on the same page. Then I think you just have to give Barcelona credit for the break. It was a perfectly executed counterattack by Aubameyang, Traore, and Alba, you can see why so many people talk about Traore's strength. I mean, Rachmani tried to foul him on the play, and he just kind of bounced right off of him. I don't think Mario Rui did a great job of marking Alba on the play either, but that was because our two center backs, who are normally very reliable, couldn't stop Traore. So Mario Rui came over to help, and then that left the entire right side open for Jordi Alba. Uh, normally, I, I do agree that Mario Rui most of the time does deserve a lot of uh, criticism, but for his at least defensive displays, but I I can't blame him for, you know, not defending well on a fast break like that, especially when, like you noted, Rachmani couldn't foul a Traore. Just, if he can't do it, I can't, you know, pass the blame on to Mario Rui. I think that was purely for the fast break, not what was before it. That was just a really good fast break by them. Anyone who's played as a defender knows that when you're flat-footed and the opponent is running at you, it's so difficult to defend that because they just have that pace. The best thing he could have done there was try to get in in the way of the pass. Unfortunately, he wasn't able to. And then it was a quality finish by Jordi Alba. That was his first goal in the Europa League in nearly a decade. Now, it seemed like we responded well enough after the goal. And what I mean by that is... It looked like we were going to still continue to play our game, which was still a good sign. You know, we weren't out of the tie by any means. And then we conceded the second goal. Frankie de Jong doubled Barcelona's lead with an absolute screamer. What did you think of the de Jong goal? Well, I thought it was a nice goal. 
I was very disappointed that nobody pressed him while it was still a beautiful goal. He had all the time in the world to put it, you know, up exactly at the uh, corner where he wanted it. And it just, it has been a problem of Napoli for, while they do high pressing well, I feel like whenever there's a lack of midfield, because it really just seemed like Napoli up to this point and continuing didn't have much of a midfield presence. And when that happens, it seems like they let players sit with the ball on the outside of the box for a while. And unfortunately, a second goal happened from it. Yeah, and that was the reason why my preview I predicted a loss, simply because I thought we were so mismatched in the midfield. You know, it was mainly because we're missing two key players in Angisa and Lobotka. And I like Diego Deme, but he hasn't played a whole lot this season. It's a tall ask to go play against guys like De Young and Pedri and Busquets. To me, that goal was the result of two things. There was poor defending by Rachmani again, unfortunately, and then just sheer quality from Frankie de Jong. I think Rachmani didn't deal with the long ball particularly well. He got ahead on it, but it went backwards towards Ferran Torres, who quickly played a little back heel. Then he seemed like he was a little bit lost, but I think that's where Di Lorenzo needs to give him a little bit of direction because Rachmani looked like he started to run towards Aubameyang on the left wing, and he was already marked by Di Lorenzo. So Di Lorenzo either needs to tell him, no, I got this guy, you stay on the ball, or they need to switch off. Instead, they basically ran into each other, and that's why there was this giant gap in the midfield. And De Jong took it. He picked the top corner. Just like on the first goal and pretty much every Barcelona goal in this match, we may have been poor, but you just have to tip your hat to them. And and that's something that I'm kind of probably repeat as, as we go on. And I've kind of alluded to this already is that we do need to recognize that Barcelona played out of their minds in this match. Yes. Like as Napoli fans, we have a tendency to only focus on what we're doing and that wasn't very good, but I think we do need to recognize that Barcelona had a really strong match. Yeah, absolutely. Especially in these first two goals, while you can point out things that Napoli did wrong, both quality goals, especially the second one. I'm sure we'll talk more about at the end, the Napoli in a whole. But, you know, yeah, those, especially those first two goals. You take those goals by themselves and it's, yeah, I can't fault Napoli. That's just Barcelona's playing very well. I want to get your thoughts on Alex Meret. And, you know, we'll get to the other goals as well. Because I saw a lot of people ragging on Meret. And, and I don't know if that was warranted. I mean, I look at the goals that were scored and... I can't help but feel like the people that don't like Meret are, you know, looking for reasons to to not like him more. The people that don't like Insigne are looking for reasons to not like him more. Do you blame Meret at all for any of these goals? No, I don't. I don't think you can ever blame the goalie on a a counter like that for the first goal and the second goal. He had uh, Diang had all the time in the world, and he put it right where the goalie couldn't get, where Meret couldn't get it. You know, yes, he Meret does deserve some criticism. But definitely not this game. At least these two goals, I, I don't think you can criticize him for at all. You can criticize the defense of Napoli, but you, I don't think you can criticize Merritt. That's unfair. That just seems like some people just like Merritt. And I get it. They've figured out ways to make every goal Merritt's fault. That's well put. And I agree. I can't blame him for any of these goals. I mean, the ball curled from the outside in to, and and hit the side netting. I think 
part of the reason why some people were critical is because he didn't dive for it. But that's the type of play where the keeper knows as soon as that ball comes off the player's foot, he has no chance at stopping that. He, he's just going to hope and pray that it misses the target. To me, it's not a lack of effort if the keeper doesn't dive. Just like, you know, people were critical of Medet on the penalty he conceded in the first leg. Again, he didn't dive, but in that case, it was because he was already leaning the other way. His body weight was going towards his left, and Pafeta and Torres went to his right. That doesn't mean he's not trying. It's just one of those things where you can't you try to stop your body <laughs> almost midair, and it looks like you didn't dive. But naturally, anyone who does have a, an agenda, let's call it against Medet, sees the opportunity. And that's fine. People have their opinions, and I respect that. My opinion is that he didn't stand the chance on a single goal he conceded in this match. So 13 minutes into the match, and we're already down 2-0. I thought that goal really unsettled us, and Barcelona were like sharks that smelled blood in the water. Whenever they lost the ball, they would hunt it down in packs, and we just did not play well under pressure. Because in theory, you know, if three players close down on the ball, then two of our players should be open. But we were just too far spread out. And again, I come back to Lobotka. I think we really, really missed him in this tie. I guess it always seems like we miss the guys that are not there. You know, it's easy to kind of use that as an excuse. But I feel like he is the type of player that shows for the ball. Or if he's the guy that's on the ball, he knows how to maintain possession. He knows how to turn into space and create a pass that looks like it's not there. Instead, the players that were in possession, they either had to play a difficult pass and gave it away, or they had to go long to Victor. So it was like Barcelona continued to play their game. Meanwhile, we stopped playing our game. We stopped pressing the way we did at the start of the match. Instead, all of a sudden, it looked like we were the ones sitting back and allowing Barcelona to knock the ball around. And our only recourse was to attack in transition. Now, fortunately, that's how we scored our first goal. So let's talk about that quickly. There's not really a whole lot tactically to break down on this goal, but we can use this goal to talk about the play of Victor Osman. So Pete, throughout this run of form, I think the one positive that we can point to has been the play of Victor Osman. Absolutely. I even have a little bit before the... Barcelona's second goal. Uh, there was one point where he pushed with the ball on a counterattack, and the only two players that were anywhere near the box pushing with him were Koulibaly and Zelinsky, which I think is a little unacceptable. There's no one else. Our center back is one of the two players. Now, granted, he does like to go up, but it did show kind of a lack of urgency with the Napoli players. But Victor Osman has absolutely been a bright spot in this bad form. You know, for a long time, I said that um, Mertens was the only player in Naples that could make a goal out of nothing. And I think we're starting to be able to add Victor to that list. He's dangerous with his head. He's fast. He just gets stuff. He just he makes stuff happen. You know, the saying speed kills, but he's he's just more than just fast. He's not the type of player that can take over a game, in my opinion, which is why I think Napoli's struggling. But he's good enough to keep him in it almost by himself, you know. Like the Calgary game, one good cross with Mario Rui. I think part of the problem, though, is it's great to have a dynamic player like that, and he can make a difference or make a goal on his own. The problem is when that's all you do, <laughs> because then the opponent figures it out, and they 
they start to plan for that. You need to have other people. And that was part of the problem. Yeah, we were playing these long balls to Victor. And as you said, most of the time he was by himself. He didn't have support. And, you know, there are some times where he can get past the defender and, and get clear on goal. But there are other times where he can't and he still wins the ball, but then he turns back and there's no one around. So, you know, we need to find a way to get more players involved in the attack because that's not going to go so well. My only, and it's, 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 I can't even really call it a criticism because he's 22 years old. He's still growing as a player. And, you know, he does get like against a player like PK, who's he absolutely is much faster than, but PK is a lot physically stronger and he can, he gets bodied easily by larger defenders, but that's, I can't even necessarily call that a criticism because you know, it's, what is he going to do? Yeah. Yeah. And and that's also the experience of PK. Like we saw that. And this is something I mentioned in my preview as well, that I specifically said that PK and Busquets would start. And I guess you could throw Jordi Alba into the mix there as well, just because, you know, going into a hostile environment like the Maradona with that many people there, you want guys that have experience playing in these types of matches, bigger matches even. And I thought really that entire back line did a great job of handling Victor. That was the fifth penalty kick that he's drawn this season. And if he was allowed to take the penalty kicks, which he does for Nigeria on the international level, he'd have most likely, assuming he converted all of them, he'd have 16 goals and 21 appearances in all competitions. Do you think it's time that he starts taking the penalties? Yeah, I mean, especially if Insigne's leaving, so there'll be a spot open for him. There are some coaches, and I, I've never heard anything of Spalletti's opinion on this. There are some coaches that don't like to have the player that's fouled take the penalty, but if he can take them for Nigeria, he absolutely can take them for Napoli, especially the guy who's taken now Insigne's leaving, and even then, while it's been better of late, has had a suspect record. So I'm all for it. Yeah, I think in our case, it's just that Insigne is the designated penalty taker. He's the captain, so he decides. That was his eighth goal of the season, Insigne. Uh, seven of those goals have been from the penalty spot. All six in Serie A have been from the penalty spot. The only goal he scored from open play was in the Europa League. We're going to talk more about Insigne a little bit later, though. That'll do for part one. In part two, we'll cover the rest of the goals. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Welcome to part two of the Forza Napoli podcast. Okay, so all of a sudden, it's midway through the first half, and it's two to one. We're right back in the match. Barcelona were still playing really well. All we had to do was get to the break. Unfortunately, we weren't able to do that. In the 45th minute, Gerard Piquet restored the two-goal lead. Now, there was a bit of controversy on this goal. Sergio Busquets was perfectly aligned between Medet and PK on the play. Pete, should this have been called off or offside? Probably. There was a last year, Mertens was called offside for being basically in the same position. Obviously, it was Syria, not the Europa League. But 
if you're going to be consistent, I have seen that called off hundreds of times. So probably should have. It honestly didn't bother me just because of the situation it was in. But I believe it should have been called off. Yeah, I'm going to say absolutely it should have been called off. I I agree. I didn't see it in real time. I didn't catch it. But when I saw the replay, I mean, the, the idea, the logic behind the rule is that if a player is interfering with the play, then he's in an offside position. He doesn't need to touch the ball. And if a player is standing between the shooter and the keeper, to me, that's interfering with the play. He's interfering with the keeper's ability to see the shot. So I definitely think that that was an offside. I mentioned Frankie de Jong earlier. He absolutely destroyed Fabian and Demme in the buildup to the corner kick that led to the goal. Now, I think most of us would have been okay if we went into the half down two to one. We still we wouldn't have been happy with the way that half went, but I think we would have felt like we were still in it. Do you think that this goal basically ended our hopes of winning this match? I honestly thought the second goal did. So at that point, I didn't think there was any chance that anything was going to happen, even with the away goal rule being taken away. Yeah, I was a bit more optimistic after we conceded the second goal because, or at least after we pulled one back. Like, yeah, after <laughs> to be down 2-0 13 minutes into the match, things were looking pretty uh, grim. But, you know, when we pulled one back, I felt like, okay, you know what? If we can just get to the half, all we need to do is win the second half 1-0 and then anything can happen. Like, that doesn't seem so beyond <laughs> possible. No, but I didn't notice anything in between Napoli's first goal and PK's goal to really give me hope that there would be any improvements to be had. No, absolutely. And that's why I felt like, hey, we, we need to get to the break because they were a mess. They were all over the place, especially our back line. I figured, okay, we get to the half. They can settle down. Spalletti can give his halftime speech, maybe point out a few things or a lot of things that were not working, maybe make a few tweaks, a few adjustments, even if it wasn't necessarily changes and like substitutions, but structurally, okay, you guys, you need to stand here and do this, do that. But then to go into the break, having just conceded right before the breakdown, 3-1 instead of 2-1, I mean, that's so much more difficult to come back from not just because of that extra goal but like psychologically i think that would have been that much more difficult for the players to get over so we go down two spalletti made one change at the half he replaced diego demon with mateo politano and then he switched up positions a little bit he dropped zielinski into the double pivot with fabian and he moved elmas into the number 10 So that's a much more attack-minded setup, which made sense because we had to score twice. It seemed like the plan early in the half was to go long to Osimhen, but it was Barcelona again who scored next. Pete, this fourth goal, I guess I know the answer based on your previous answer, but did it make that much of a difference for you, or were you pretty much resigned to the fact that we had already lost this match? Yeah, at that point, I was ready to stop watching it. It was just, it wasn't even enjoyable to watch at that point. You know, just the ball rolled through like three or four defenders. It was was just bad. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think, I mean, Frankie de Jong, again, made a a great dummy to allow that ball to roll through. That's sort of what happened there. I mean, this was a classic Barcelona goal, though. They played 22 consecutive passes in the buildup to the goal. 
every single Barcelona player on the pitch touched the ball at least once on the play, including Ter Stegen. And then the finish by Aubameyang again. It was weird because Meret was on that side of the goal and it was still pretty much an impossible shot to stop. It was just with the pace and the accuracy that Aubameyang hit it with. Now, Dries Mertens was warming up to come on sort of during the buildup of that goal. The goal was scored in the 59th minute, but he didn't end up coming on until the 74th minute. And I saw some people talking about this online and suggesting that ADL and Spalletti are intentionally not playing Mertens because of his impending contract negotiations. What do you think about that? Do you think they're intentionally leaving him on the bench? Well, you would certainly hope not. He's been good this year when he's played. After that, they score that goal. There's no point to bring him on. If you were going to bring him on, you probably should have brought him, put him on at halftime. I don't know if it's as much as intentional as, you know, maybe Spalletti just doesn't trust Mertens or doesn't like what he brings. You could be worried. In that position, your midfield's already been run through terribly. You're basically sacrificing a midfielder to put on Mertens. So maybe that could be a reason why he wouldn't bring him on. But for this game specifically, no, I don't. If you, if you weren't going to put him on in the 50th at the halftime, there was no reason to put him on after the fourth goal i agree i think he might have brought him on earlier had they not scored that chance but at that point i think then spalletti figured okay we're not coming back from this why am i gonna put him on to play half an hour and you know just risk him getting hurt or or tire him out we have another game coming up in a couple of days another big game against lazio if he doesn't play against lazio there might be something to this but other than that it's i don't think it's much of anything yeah, and I'm still not expecting him to start. I'm curious to see what happens, though, because we saw Osaman had a bandage on his knee when he came off. From what I understand, that was just for precautionary reasons. We know he's been dealing with some swelling in his in his knee, so I'm curious to see if Mertens might actually start against Lazio. But even if he doesn't, I mean, I look at the situation, and I, I just don't buy this story that they're going to bench a player just because they want to decrease his value so that they can re-sign him later. I think if it's about the money, if Napoli advance by winning this match, then they make more money, and that could potentially be used to to offset some of those wages. And even specifically Mertens, he has said that he'd take less money. He's publicly stated he'd take less money to you know, re-sign with Naples. So I, yeah, I, exactly. I, I, think, I think De Laurentiis has enough leverage as it is. I don't think he needs more to, you know, bench and, and and he seems like a guy that wants to get value out of his assets. I don't think he wants to he's already paying the guy four million a year now. <laughs> You'd think he, he would want that guy playing for for what he's paying for. The other thing is that we have to remember Mertens just played ninety minutes against Caliti, which was a pretty intense match, not more intense than we were expecting it to be. And the guy's almost 35 years old. I think in May he turns 35. So to me, that's the reason why Mertens didn't come on at halftime because I don't know if his body can handle it three days after playing such a, a difficult game against Cagliari. Yeah, if, I mean, if anything, that just goes to show how much Chiro means to this team and this, even more so the city that he doesn't play for a game and people are like looking for these crazy explanations as to why. Yeah, and, and it kind of goes back to what I mentioned earlier about Lobotka as well. It's 
it's so easy for us at home watching on TV to always go to the guy that's not on the field and say, oh, well, he should have put that guy on. It would have been a completely different outcome if, if that guy played. I mean, he didn't exactly play that great against Caliody, but it's Mertens. I'm not going to suggest that he's not a good player. We know what he's done. He's played in, I think he actually tied a record for most appearances in the Europa League, like in history <laughs> with this appearance. So yeah, you know, he's he's definitely still got plenty to offer. He was involved in the final goal, which didn't really have any consequence as far as this match goes. It was too little, too late. The goal was scored by Matteo Politano. Do you think, though, that there's still some benefit of that goal, at least as far as Politano goes, just in terms of boosting his confidence? Oh, absolutely. You know, we got to get something going on that right side. And hopefully this goal can get him back some of his confidence to see the Politano that we've, you know, we, we have seen, you know, he's had to deal with a lot of injuries this season. So I'm not as hard at his negative performances, but we need him to step up and hopefully this goal can, like I said, start to get some of his confidence back and he can get there. Cause it doesn't seem like Elmas is going to work on the, as a right winger. You know, I love the guy, not as much as Raf Biz, but I do like him, but it's, he ain't working there. Biz will tell you as well that the right wing is not his ideal position. Somewhere, you know, in the middle or on the left is is sort of what works for him. And I think Almas has become kind of this utility player that he's great to have to fill in a gap when you have an injury or as someone off the bench. But so far, he hasn't shown his worth in terms of playing as a consistent starter. So we'll see, you know, if that's something Spalletti can work with because we all see the potential, but you know, you can only talk about the potential for so long before you feel like, okay, this is just not going to pan out. Yeah. I mean, we all see what he does when he plays for Macedonia. It seems like he scores a goal every time he goes on an international trip, but yeah, as of right now, I, I do like him, you know, as like a baseball, like a utility player. Uh, he definitely brings a lot of value there. Um, and especially with how injuries have affected us again, this season, it's nice to have a player, that can play multiple positions. He didn't play great against Barcelona, but I can't sit there and blame Elmas for playing out of position and not playing well. When like, I can blame Insigne for playing in his position, he didn't play well either. So who's who's more at fault? I think he can have a bit more freedom when he plays for Macedonia just because there's not as much talent there. So they're going to give him more freedom to dribble players and take players on and and there's less pressure in a sense because there, there's usually very little expectations for North Macedonia. Whereas with a club and with the style that we play, I think his biggest strength, which is his dribbling, is actually kind of holding him back at the moment because he always seems to take too many touches. Whenever the ball comes to him, it's like touch, 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 touch and then he passes it off. He, we need him to get rid of the ball quicker and then make his run. So hopefully that's something Spalletti can work with him on. Back to Politano, I agree. I think this is good for his confidence. He just came back from injury. He looked really lively, though, which was a great sign. Like, it, you know, I look at it in Insignia and he seems to be laboring a little bit. He's kind of in and out of injuries. Politano looked quick. He was pressing. He was into the game. So I think those were all good signs despite the loss. It was only his third goal all season. Two of them came in the Europa League, one in Serie A. His last goal was on October 21st against Legia Warsaw. So I was definitely glad to see him score that goal. And I thought it was well-deserved based on what I said. I thought he played a, a solid 45 minutes. 
he nearly got an assist as well late in the match. He played a perfectly weighted ball to Andrea Petania, but his shot was from a bit of a tight angle and Ter Stegen made the save. I also want to give a shout out to Mario Rui on the play because that goal started with him pressing PK and Ter Stegen and then Politano and Mertens joined in on the press as well. And I tweeted this out, but I'll repeat it here as well. Say what you will about Mario Rui, but he was still pressing down 5-2 to two on aggregate with only five minutes left to play in this match. And over the last couple matches, I would say Mario Rui and Victor Osiman were the only two players who actually seemed to care. Yeah, and Rui uh, seems to have a um, history of this. I believe it was this is going back as far as an Ancelotti was the coach. I do not remember who they were playing, but I remember a specific time on a counterattack, Rui got the ball. He started running while he had the ball. Nobody else around him running. He threw his arms up in the air and just passed back to the goalie. And like I said, I said it earlier, you can criticize Marui for a lot of things. One thing you cannot criticize him for is his passion. We saw last year or two years ago at this point against Barcelona uh, when he got Vidal, the, the uh, two yellow cards to send out. And you saw it yesterday when he pressed for the, which led to the goal. You know, I got to give him a lot of credit for that. That's we look at it as fans and I want to, you know, I want my team to play hard, whether it's a favorable or unfavorable result, but these are jobs for him. It gets a paycheck, but he still gives 110% even when they're down five, two. Absolutely. And he could be a player that leaves in the summer. There's been a lot of talk about that last summer. You know, his agent basically said, look, he didn't play a whole lot last season under Gattuso he wants to stay. He wants to play another season. He wants to get his value back up, and then they'll look for another club. Well, he's done that. He's gotten his value back up. So this could be a player that's on his way out, and he's still fighting hard. And you do get the sense that that's just because he's a competitive guy and because he was actually upset, as he should have been. And I think that's part of why a lot of us were so frustrated with this performance, because every one of those players should have been doing that, and they weren't. I say it all the time. Obviously, I want Napoli to win, but I don't get upset when they lose. I get upset when they play poorly. There have been games where they've won where I don't feel great about the game. So whenever I see someone like Rui do that, I, I'll i kind of turn a blind eye to some of the things that he does that aren't so great. But yeah, you're right. It's It seems like a lot of a lot of with Napoli fans, and you know, I, I'll speak for myself, Monopoly are playing well, and even if the results aren't there, if they're trying, they're they're playing for you know the front of the shirt. I've seen a lot of Napoli fans aren't as hard on them, even when when there's been wins while they're not playing as well. It's people are a lot more critical. I think that's why when we had our first stretch of injuries in December, a lot of our fans still felt like okay, we're okay with this because we fought and lost to Atalanta. We fought and drew Sassuolo. Yeah, we gave up late goals, but they left it all out there on the field. And we're not getting that sense lately. I know some of it has been more for strategic reasons, like the first leg of this match, the Inter match. But again, you look at that Caliati match, and it looked like Caliati really wanted it, and we weren't as into it. And then you look at this match, and you kind of got the same feeling. So that'll do for part two. In part three, we'll talk about Lorenzo Insigne, and we'll talk about the debate about whether we should focus on all competitions or just one. I'm Alex Rodriguez. 
And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as um, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Welcome to part three of the Fortsonopoly podcast. So the last thing I want to talk about specifically from this match was the play of Lorenzo Insigne because he was not getting a whole lot of love. He got a lot of jeers actually as he came off the pitch for what could have been his last match in a European competition. Pete, what did you think of Insigne's play? Um, terrible. No good. Uh, any adjective you can throw at it that is negative. Compounding the fact that he's leaving for Toronto, taking that aside, he's he's the captain. And we just spoke about Mario Rui and how much drive he had and how he kept fighting, even though it was 5-2. There seemed no fight. Uh, there was like no fight of Insigne. I criticized Elmas earlier for not playing well. I can't even really criticize Insigne for not playing well because did it seemed like he wasn't there. He just disappeared most of the game. He scored the penalty, which was it was a nice place penalty, but it seems like it's not even a case of he's not playing well. He just he disappears for large stretches of the game, and he's supposed to be our most influential offensive piece, and he's a, a non-factor on the left side. So I know you're one of our fans who wasn't too happy about him leaving the club. Yes. So I want you to be honest with me. Do you think that you might be judging him just a little bit harsher because he's leaving. Maybe a little bit, but am I even with the me judging him harsher? Am I am I that far off from what he was last game? No, probably not. I, I, and I think the key thing here with Insignia, because I'll give you because I personally thought he had an okay match, but I think the main thing here is that this is our captain. If he wasn't wearing the captain's armband, you know, I think he's he has to be held to a higher standard just for that reason alone. But I'll tell you why I think he, I thought he had an okay match. First, he assisted, well, not assisted, but he played the pass that led to the, the penalty that Victor won. Then he converted the penalty. Now, again, you expect him to convert penalties. But like you mentioned earlier, he struggled earlier in the season with his penalties. And lately, he's been pretty solid at taking them. I thought... We created very few chances in the first half or really throughout the match. But when we did create chances, he seemed to be involved. There was two or three counterattacks where he was the one carrying the ball. Now, you could also use that as a criticism because we didn't do a whole lot with those counterattacks. There was one where he seemed like he passed up Elmas and Osman and went for the shot and didn't get much on it. So that one can kind of go either way. And then he nearly got an assist in the second half. He played another ball over the top to Osman and he, he beat PK, but his shots kind of just rolled wide of the far post. So I thought it was a decent performance considering that everyone played quite poorly. But I do get that, you know, as the captain, you want to see him putting forth the type of effort that, like you said, Mario Rui was putting forth. And getting pissed off. And and that was a lot of the comments that I saw that people recognized that when he came off, he didn't seem to be too upset. It also doesn't help that immediately after the match, his, I think it was his Instagram account, his 
posting yeah, a replay of the penalty kick. <laughs> and now, I don't know if that's actually him or a social media person, but either way, the timing was terrible for that. It's almost as bad as Lozano posting his Mexican stuff during the match. But then, Cine, it's – and maybe it's because it's the captain, but it's – even from last year, he would he would always track back. He He did a lot of the dirty work that I don't think he's doing this year. I don't have an explanation as to why, but he's from Naples. He has the captain's armband. There's always going to be a big spotlight on him. And, you know, uh, right now a lot of it's negative, but, you know, let's when he was playing well and when he was the center point of this team, there was a lot of praise too. So right now it's negative, but it was positive at a point. It does swing both ways. It's not, not all bad to be from Naples. <laughs> yeah. I mean, not to sound like Insignia's biggest defender or anything like that, but I do think that he hasn't been playing 100% for a a lot of matches this season. He's been in and out of the squad, but I completely agree. I mean, when you compare his performance this season to last season, there's definitely been a drop-off. I mean, there's no denying it. Even putting the stats aside, I I think he was far more impactful. And De Laurentiis is starting to look like a pretty smart guy because, you know, everyone was hating on him for not giving Insigne five and a half, six, six and a half million euros a season after he just won the euros, but it's looking pretty smart right now. So Napoli are out of the Europa League. We are already out of the Coppa Italia. That means all we have left to focus on is Serie A. So I want to close with that because I saw a lot of people online calling out people like myself. (laughs) And by people like myself, I mean people who wanted us to focus on Serie Now, I don't know, maybe it's a Twitter character limit thing, but I feel like people always are very extreme with these things. I want to make something very clear, and then I'll get your thoughts. For those of us who are saying, look, we don't have the depth to compete in multiple competitions to try to win the Europa League and try to win the Scudetto, that does not mean we were happy to see Napoli get eliminated from the Europa League. What it means is that if we get eliminated, we're not maybe as upset as people that wanted us to win the competition. And the reason for that is because now we know that we can focus all of our resources on one competition. That's what happened with Inter last year, and they won the Scudetto, right? So I I wanted to clarify that because I don't think any Napoli fans are ever happy to see us lose any match, let alone, you know, an elimination game from from a competition. But I'm curious to know what you think about this whole debate, Pete. I think it's a little bit silly because, like you said, no Napoli fan wants Napoli to lose any game. I tend to lean a little bit more towards you. I would prefer Napoli to focus on Syria than the Europa League. But if you told me Napoli could win Syria, Europa League, and Coppa Italia, they win the three... no one's upset by that. It's just you have to look at the position Napoli's in in Serie A as opposed to Europa League. Even take both games out before the first and second leg. Napoli's playing Barcelona. Now, at least in the beginning of the year, they weren't playing well. They they brought in reinforcements in January. It's up in the air. Look at where we are in Serie A, fighting for first place. Teams ahead of us constantly keeps giving us gifts. Like today, both gifts from both Milan teams. Hopefully, we can capitalize on it. So it's if you're giving me one or the other, I'm going to go for Serie A. Especially Serie A is the more fulfilling title to win. If I win the Europa League, I'm going to be excited. I'll be ecstatic, but I'll still feel like I'm we're missing something as a team. 
Uh, my best friend, he's he's a Liverpool fan. Liverpool won the Champions League, and then they won the Premier League. He said the Premier League meant more to him than the Champions League. I'd rather win the league. I'm going to see Napoli won all those other other teams two to twenty, and I'm not going to feel content until I get that. Yeah, and I think what people need to remember is that you know, and I don't want to put words in other people's mouths because I just kind of defended myself from that, but. You know, people need to remember that it's not as if winning this tie against Barcelona meant that we were just going to coast to the final. That gets you to the round of 16, and then there's the quarterfinals, and then the semifinals, and there are some pretty big names that are still left in this tournament. And the big concern for me, and and people will call me too conservative and say that I I don't have a winning mentality, and that's fine. People have whatever the opinions they want to have, but there is a genuine risk here that we don't finish in the top four. And that might sound crazy because, you know, we have this seven point gap ahead of Juve and Atalanta, but I want your thoughts on this as well. But I look at our schedule and, you know, it wouldn't be so unheard of if we lost to Lazio and Milan, that's six points. If Juve and Atalanta win those two games, all of a sudden we're only one point clear of those two teams. So the top four is by no means guaranteed. I'll feel a lot more comfortable about it after the Milan game. Absolutely. I, I completely agree. I, I think top four is in jeopardy. Now, do I still think Napoli are going to finish in top four? Yes, but I, I think it is far from a, uh, a certainty. We will find out a lot more what Napoli is going to do, like I said, after the Milan game. And the fact that there's no Europa League games to worry about now is a little bit more reassuring considering after Milan, the next on paper hard team is Atalanta, but they play Verona and Udinese in between then. And they like to uh, give Napoli hard times. I mean, Udinese tied Milan one, one today. So they're not a bad team, but um, ever since second half of Inter, I've, from what I've seen, it's, that half doesn't seem to be a one-off. It seems to have carried on to every game. And until I see a game where that doesn't carry on, I'm going to assume that that's just how they're going to play because they've given me no reason to not think that. That's partly why I'm okay with being knocked out of the Europa League. Again, I'm not happy about it, but what it means is that now we play once a week. That means guys are not going to be as tired looking as they have looked over the last three or four matches. That means we're going to start to get players back from injury and we'll be able to rotate them. And in theory, that should minimize the number of injuries we pick up going forward. I mean, that's a huge issue with the club that they need to figure out, but that's the benefit of only playing in one competition. Before I let you go, I mentioned at the top that you have now formed a new Napoli club in the tri-state area. Tell me a little bit about the club. Where can people find the club on social media and, and all of that stuff? So, uh, yeah, me and Gaetano uh, and, you know, a few others started a club, Tri-State Napoli Club. Apparently there's more than – I learned there's more than one Tri-State. So it's uh, New Jersey, New York, and Connecticut. And you can find most of our stuff on Twitter and Instagram. It's the same handle, Tri, T-R-I, underscore Napoli Club, no space. Uh, so try underscore Napoli Club. We're trying to get something for the Milan game. Fingers crossed that that could happen. It, we've been me and Gaetano have talked about it, and he's talked about it with other people as well. 
and then we just kind of decided to just jump in the pool and do it. And it's, I didn't personally didn't expect it to pop off in the beginning as much as it did. And I'm, I think it's so cool. You know, how many people, uh, in this area are Napoli fans. I met someone from, uh, I worked today who was born and raised in Naples. You know, I meet people from Naples all the time. Yeah, that's amazing. It's, it's really cool to have, uh, some friends that you can watch the games with. And I know just from doing this podcast that there are a ton of Napoli fans in New York. So I have a feeling that, uh, well, New York and, and like you said, the tri-state area that I think you guys are going to get a good turnout. Pete, that's all we have time for today, but I want to thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me. The pleasure's all mine. It's a huge honor it's, uh, to be on this uh, podcast and just thank you so much. You're welcome. So you can find Pete on Twitter at pscala 11 You can find me on Twitter at Joe underscore Fisketti5. And you can find the podcast on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Fortsanopoly Pod. I'll be back very soon, hopefully to preview the Lazio match. But until then, I'm Joe Fisketti, Fortsanopoly Sempre. Network. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.